Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Howard, AIM Coach, and this is episode 60, I believe. <laughs> In the meantime, I've gotten confused on how many episodes we're at, but I think I lost one in there somewhere. And it's a shame because I either recorded over it or it got lost in cyberspace. I try to do this on my own. Well, I don't try to do this on my own. I do it on my own. And then I send the file to a friend of mine who then uploads it to the website, which then automatically loads it to iTunes. So I'm not that familiar with how everything works. And gradually I'm learning more about it. But I think I might have lost an episode in there. So this is number 60. We'll call it number 60. We're going to continue the numbers going from there and pretend like we never skipped a beat. And this podcast is for mainly my athletes. And that's not to include all the others that are listening, but that's where I get my questions and insights and inquiries and curiosities and challenges and so forth for this website, uh, for this website, for this podcast. Because it seems to me, like I learned many years ago, that the question of a few of my athletes are the questions of many of my athletes. And the question of many of my athletes means that many, many other athletes out there probably have the same questions. And my approach to not only this podcast, but to coaching, isn't that my way of coaching is the only way. It's an approach. It's a philosophy. And I'm very passionate about it. I believe in it 100%. And I don't question it. I was on the phone the other day with another coach who had called me, and she was asking a variety of questions with regards to her coaching philosophy and how she can get others to buy in and how I started and, you know, just a good conversation about, you know, what, how this coaching business works and how she can not only grow it, but help others become more understanding of how she's trying to keep them not only injury free, but also build that foundation, that platform of aerobic training because she too is a believer And one of the things I told her, and in closing I told her, was be passionate about what you believe in. And if you believe in it, and if you wholeheartedly coach from that belief and that with that passion, the people that want to embrace your approach, they'll embrace it, and they'll become um, ambassadors for your type of coaching. And I've been very fortunate over the years that I've had many, many athletes that have done that, that have seen how it works for me and how passionately I stand by it. And they too have had really good results from it. It's not necessarily because I have some sort of unique coaching ability. It's because I believe in the aerobic foundation, in the fundamentals, and in building a season properly so that I can keep you, the athlete, injury-free I can keep you consistent. And as I've said from, I think, podcast like three or four here, if you stay injury-free and if you stay consistent with your training, the value of doing that repetition over and over again will make you so fit and will help you learn more and more about yourself 
and will allow you to introduce a variety of different concepts into your aerobic platform from nutrition to hydration to changing efforts to cadences to paces to wattages all those things you can start playing with once you have this ability to train consistently and injury free day in and day out it's a question of the hours and the minutes of training and every hour that you're in there that you're reconnected with your body that you're listening to your body that you're allowing your body to send you signals and teach you what it's what's happening with it the more you learn the more you observe the more you can adjust the more you can adapt the stronger you get the smarter you get about your body and then again from that the more injury free you remain the fitter you get the more consistently you train because you're remaining injury free and you're getting fitter and stronger and more motivated and you will continue this cycle on and on and on and on and boom you're in that lifestyle and that fitness and that health state that you truly love and thrive in it's our best version of ourselves sure there's so many other things we can fill out our time with and career and family and what makes us better people but being healthy being fit being connected with our physical self is a great start to all those things and that's what this podcast and my coaching is about getting you healthier and fitter as well as helping you as athletes enjoy that gratification of setting a goal on the outer boundaries of what you think you can imagine with regards to fitness and adventure and experiences of an endurance race and then working with you systematically via training via communicating via this podcast via writing via feedback via video to pursue that goal whatever your goal is in that healthy injury free and sustainable repetitive consistent manner and sustainable is that big key right that i keep talking about that if things are going to progress to a level that you believe you are reaching your true potential it will require sustainability in the entire um atmosphere around you of family and career and this training and community and so forth you can't neglect all the others that's pretty much then the highest standard of training when you can hit all your training you can stay injury free and you can maintain healthy relationships and healthy career goals while keeping it all in balance like that that's pretty much the top of the pyramid but anyway I'm going way deep into that piece. So welcome to this another version and another version. Another episode of this podcast. And what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I continue to get more and more zone 2 emails and questions, but this week I'm going to talk a little bit about best effort, what it means and what we can learn from best effort and how best effort we need to really understand is something we need to train. We don't just flip a switch and put forth best effort because best effort always improves upon itself. What we thought was our best effort yesterday, we might look back on yesterday today and say that wasn't best effort. I can squeeze this much more out of it. And so I talk a good deal 
a good 15, 20 minutes about what it means to put forth best effort and why. Why it's so important to put forth our best effort. Not best in, t- in form of speed or wattage or intensity or heart rate, but best effort in that we feel really good that we did that exercise, that interval, that workout, that race, whatever it is, to the best of our ability. Again, trainable. I answer a zone two question from a listener, which was pretty apropos and applicable. I think it's good training X's and O's that you guys can all use to sort of build your own training plan. It gives you also, as my athletes, an insight to the balance of what we're trying to do with regards to proportions and where we are in our season currently. And I also talk a little bit about coaching beginners, what I look for and why it's totally fine to be an absolute newbie to the sport of ultra endurance. I mean, I've coached numerous absolute beginners to the uh, endurance world. One of them being Rich Roll, for example. He had no familiarity with endurance, let alone ultra endurance. In a past life, he was a swimmer, and so therefore he can fall back on many, many years of that type of training and repetition. But he was no longer connected to that self of his, and so we had to start literally from scratch. But I talk about that differentiation between starting from scratch versus no athletic background at all. So coaching beginners. And finally, I talk about a topic that's really close to me, and that is understanding and ties into our whole zone two bigger picture. Like I keep saying, maybe this should be called the zone two podcast is understanding that your aerobic base, the foundation that we're working on now works backwards from the race distance. I know that sounds confusing, but keep in mind the training you do now are, is, are, what is applicable to the last 10 miles of a marathon in an Ironman, the last 15 to 20 miles in a 100-mile run, the back eighth, I would say, of your future ultra-endurance endeavor is covered by the first few weeks and, in some cases, months of your training phase. And I go into depth what that means, why I make that statement. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. And as always, feel free to send me any questions or feedback, even things that you don't like. Last week, I got some feedback that what I was talking about and the science of it a little of was of it was quite boring, like a yawner, like blah, blah, blah. So boring. That's totally fine. I get it. It's not supposed to always hit every button for everybody that is interesting. And I would hope that many of you forward through or tune out on some things that are not quite that interesting to you. If I'm hitting everybody with an interesting topic, well, then this podcast is more than I realized it is. But I don't take myself that seriously, nor this podcast that seriously. And I know that a lot of this stuff can be and is boring for many of you. So enjoy this week's podcast. Focus training, doing your best is hard to do. And it takes a while to be able to put forth this type of focus and this type of effort on a daily basis. I wouldn't necessarily call it a 100% effort, 
but doing your best, your possible best on that given day, in that given session, in that given race, or whatever task it is you are taking on, whether with your family or at work, it all takes practice. It's extremely difficult, and it takes years of training and, again, practice to get into the ability to put forth an honest best effort. Like most things in life, best effort is a learned behavior. And like so many coaches over the course of my career, career as a coach, I've had so many triathletes, endurance runners, swimmers, um, high, high level athletes that haven't given their best in daily training or practice or even races. And it takes time to prepare the mind and the body for that type of consistent effort. The athletes that continue to progress through the sport, as well as ultra endurance endeavors, were those who were honest in the evaluation of their own daily performance and the effort it took and the time it took to train their mind and their body to understand truly what best effort is. It might feel like best effort that day. It might feel like best effort even if you did it again and again and again. But what you'll notice is your best seems to improve with every little try and every attempt at your best you will notice a subtle change or subtle improvement or things you do smarter, better, stronger, cleaner, better technique, etc. And what you'll notice is that when you've given it a few attempts at your best, you'll look back at what was your first attempt and almost laugh knowing, how did I think that was my best attempt? How did I think that was a solid clean, fundamentally sound, thoughtful, prepared, smart effort. Giving your best, what have I done today to give it my best, takes practice. It's like I read a quote the other day. Maintenance work isn't sexy. Work on the fundamentals isn't exciting. But that's truly where the work is, right? That's where we will understand our improvement. That's where our many failures and our resilience to push through them and improve them and get better from them will show itself over many repetitions, over many workouts, over thousands of, in many cases, hours, but let's just say minutes of good, clean, fundamentally sound, smart training. Once you begin that daily training session, whether it's one of them or there's three of them or it's a really short one or a really long one, it is up to you, the athlete, to try to understand and recognize and then go forth and put forth your best effort. And within that, it's also what your coach asks you to do, the meeting of those two. It's exhausting to put forth your best effort. It requires 
a mental side of you to prep for, and it requires a physical side of you to prep for. Going into a workout, going into a training session, going into a race, most most of the time B races or so, because your A race, we somehow are always able to not only freshen up enough to put forth our best effort, but also have prepared mentally in um, advance in order to put forth what we believe is our best effort, which on a side note, many, 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 many of us, I would say most of us, if not all of us, feel as though after the race, there's things we could have done better and therefore made it an even better best effort. But back to the training session, it takes energy. It takes focus. It takes time to get ready for this type of best effort. And that's why I've talked about on this podcast and to many of my athletes in the past, training is not just something you walk down the hall to, go into a room, do it, and walk back out. It requires prep. It requires a thought process. It requires thinking ahead and what we want to accomplish. It requires, in some cases, some nerves and some um, worry. And I say that because when it's a hard workout, we should almost be in fear of it. And not fear in a negative way, but fear in a respectful way. We know what's coming ahead and we know it's going to hurt. Or when it's a long, easy zone two workout, also being prepared mentally and physically for our best there. How am I ensuring that I am staying in my zone today? Do I need to change the course? Do I need to change who I'm riding with? Do I need to change what kind of bike I'm riding or where I'm running or what shoes I'm running? All those things factor in to how I will execute this workout to the best of my ability. And again and again and again, you will find I could have done that better. There are thousands of emails in my email box littered with training peaks and workout log updates about how afterwards the athlete says or makes a quote or notices or comments on, I should have done this. I could have done this better. Well, that's all good and great, but if you don't do it better next time when you have a similar workout, it doesn't matter. You can comment on it all you want. And that's the challenge with training as well. It's not just going out and executing the workout with regards to the prescription and the prep and so forth, but doing it to the best of your ability. And that's hard and it takes practice. And that's what this subject is sort of about. But even in races, there is not a racer amongst you that doesn't reflect after a race on the details that they might have could have possibly done better and squeezed out more time. We all do this sport with so much sacrifice of time and effort and resources to not think like that afterwards. Oh man, I could have done this. What was I doing in transition? Why did I start so fast? What was I thinking there? Had I just kept form there? Had I just stayed relaxed there? 
Had I just done my nutrition and hydration better? I know better. Why did I panic? Why did I self-sabotage? All those things, like I keep saying for all of us, as well as myself, that self-sabotage can be avoided in practice by continuously working hard on improving our ability to give it our best effort. I talk to myself, I talk to my kids about it in their training, and I talk to myself about my own training. What am I doing today so that when I flip the switch on, I can have the best possible training outcome? Many days that means turning off my iPod, no longer listening to music and going into my head and preparing for that. I don't race with an iPod, therefore I need to start thinking about sessions and hours without anything in my ears talking. Now, I say that because I spend a lot of hours training and if I were to spend all those hours training in my head, that would also tilt to the negative side. But there has been maybe one race in my entire life, maybe two or three total, let's say, across all sports, where I've not felt afterwards there were little things I could improve upon. Now, we can also be too hard on ourselves and look for things that aren't going to realistically happen on race day. We're not going to have a 100% perfect best effort day because in hindsight, we can always squeeze out minutes. But in general, whether it's winning Kona to great swim races and so forth, I think part of being an athlete is that we're constantly looking for ways to improve and how we want to move forward and how we want to improve and get better and that we're never satisfied with as is. We're not complacent. We're always looking to improve ourselves. And that... That speaks across all aspects of our lives, whether that's in nutrition, how am I improving upon myself with regards to better nutrition, better daily habits, with regards to sleep, with regards to our career, with regards to our families, with regards to being a partner, with regards to being a parent, with regards to so many things. We're constantly thinking, of course, how am I better today than yesterday, but also not being complacent with my better today and therefore stopping to tomorrow. Like I was saying, talking to my kids, it's about my son walking into a skate park and knowing that once you cross into that skate park, and I know I sound like a coach to my son, which I try to prepare him for the mental aspects of his level of competition that he's looking to do someday as well as now. But once you cross that threshold, it is a different you. It is no longer the, I'm just having fun. It's a training session. We're here to train and we want to be able to flip that switch when we need to in order to land a trick, which is technically very hard. There's a lot of little details that go into it. And just like a golfer or a tennis player or a gymnast or anybody, if you're looking to execute the details on race day, it's too late. Then you will be overthinking it and you will be caught in the minutia of it all versus thinking big picture sensations and working with the things that you can't control and plan for that day. That's what you need to use your mind for that day. 
And so in training sessions, we want to subconsciously create habits that we no longer need to think about the technicalities and the details we need to do to execute our training and our racing to the best of our abilities. And that is partially too with best effort. Best effort takes training and practice. And I know we're all looking backwards going, that was my best effort? Are you serious? I thought that was my best effort. I'm a new me because I've been training my best. And my best now is already better than my best just last week. That's progress. That's training. And that's also what keeps us motivated and fired up and excited to move forward in any type of training. Whether that's the monotonous zone two and the maintenance work and the fundamentals I was talking about earlier, or it is the the difficulties of a harder workout, but you're doing it cleaner, faster, better, stronger, smarter. And I understand that this process of learning how to give it your best, how to focus and on the details and how to mentally prepare, as well as physically prepare for your best is a long-term process. The skills being taught within that are difficult, not only in the training, whether it's going easy enough on easy days and hard enough on hard days, but also in general, in your mindset, in your prep, in your nutrition, in your hydration. If you really think about it, there are so many little details that go into one simple 90-minute workout that many of us, in the meantime, overlook. It's for sure part of it is second nature. But the other part of it is that we are giving it the detail and the attention in order to put forth our best. And just think of all the information to process in a dra- daily training um, workout or uh, training session. There's a lot to execute not only from a training perspective and intervals and heart rates and wattages and cadences and so forth, but also the environment around you, hot, cold, gear, so forth, as well as nutrition, hydration, and so forth, our internal environment. And part of my job description is not the person I blame when I think I'm not progressing as fast as I think I can or I should be because progress and learning these details are slow but yet gradual and that's the beauty of a lot of the zone two training as I've talked about so often on this podcast and that is our goals are to make incremental gradual improvements but that we're moving forward and even if we tread water for a while for lack of a better description and aren't seeing the improvements in every training session or every test even, we're not going backwards. That is the important thing. If we're sticking to the heart rate zones, if we're sticking to the training prescription, if we're sticking to the fundamentals, and if we're sticking to the thought process of giving it our best today and coming in prepared and ready to do that workout, sleep, recovery, hydration, nutrition, and so forth, you will not be going backwards. As how often I've said, there is no damage to be done in the training going too easy. 
You will not go backwards. You will only get fitter and add to the platform, to the base, to the foundation of whatever it is we're looking to build. Expecting your progress and success to be instantaneous is unreasonable and places an enormous amount of pressure on you as well as those around you that might have a vested interest in your outcome. And that isn't just family, but coaches and teammates and so forth, even people that you might be racing with, whether it's adventure racing, people you sail with, etc. Teammates, unit mates, even let's say mates like, for example, with Attilo and a partner that you're training with and racing with. The desire for instantaneous rewards will do more harm than good. And you run the risk of sabotaging yourself and your performance because of those irrational expectations. Above all, don't compare your training and your performance outcomes, whether it's racing or even training or tests, to others. And use that baseline for what you think and what you should be doing. That only causes confusion. That will place, again, unrealistic expectations on yourself. And not only do you run that risk, again, of sabotaging yourself, but you run the risk of demotivating yourself and not enjoying the sport and leaving the sport and the lifestyle and the training and all of it all together. I definitely coach beginners. And I get a lot of emails asking about what it's like or what I look for when I start coaching beginners, those looking to take on this type of training, and they don't have any type of background in it. There's beginners that have, let's say, a swimming background, a cycling background, a running background, or whatever sports-specific background. I mean, I've seen fantastic athletes that are rowers that move on to running or cycling. I've seen fantastic um, cross-country or steeplechase high school and college runners that moved on to great cycling and so forth, right? But I'm talking about beginners that have no real experience in sports, athletics, or background. They might have played a little bit of organized athletics or sports when they were younger, whether that's soccer or baseball or something like that. But... I would say the consistent quality that beginners have shown um, to me, not like they're trying to show me anything, but what something that they've been consistently displaying if I were to look at all my true beginner athletes, and that is their willingness to dive into the proverbial deep end into this training. Um, it takes a lot of courage. It like, takes a lot of grit and commitment and um, willing to fail or be embarrassed when we are starting out here in this sport. And these sports, I should say, because ultra endurance can be a variety of different endeavors, sports and so forth. And it's hard and it um, it seems overwhelming. But what I've found is the beginners that do dive into the deep end, their learning curve is so quick and they are so open to absorbing all this information and insights and input and gear and purchases and all that. And because it can get expensive and it can get confusing and it can get overwhelming. But 
those athletes that do it, that are willing to dive into that deep end, they have enormous success, I find, uh, quickly. And what do we define that success by? That success is that they quickly ramp up to what couldn't be considered a very respectable um, endurance platform, fitness. And that success is also defined by what they're feeling and how fit they're getting and how lean and powerful they're getting and how connected and aware of their body they're getting and how much more they're paying attention to nutrition and their sleep and how their body is feeling during the day how much more energy they have and then are willing to take on the next level of training. And not that this is a constant progression of volume and more training, but that they're curious to learn more about their potential. And you all have heard me talk about this on the podcast many times is the joy of this coaching is to help you, the athlete, um, reach a potential that you didn't know was Um, out there yet or out on the outer boundary of what you thought might be a reality. And of course, there's the other end of the spectrum where athletes and um, younger um, masters athletes try to hold on to their former self, their former abilities, their former time availability, their former performances, their former running paces, wattages and cycling or swim paces. And that's a harder discussion to get them to understand that as masters athletes, we need to balance things differently. We need to keep the stresses in line and so forth. And we've talked plenty about that here. But for the beginner and for the newer athletes in the ultra endurance world, whether they're coming from marathons, whether they're coming from 10Ks, whether they're coming from just starting out, it's teaching and helping them realize and tapping into their own personal potential that is on the outer boundary of what they ever thought they were capable of. And when a athlete is climbing Kilimanjaro with other athletes that have been doing this for years or um, mountain guides comment back to me afterwards that they were quite surprised and pleased to see that an athlete with the proper platform base and approach still um, represented very well on the mountain? No, they weren't the fastest, but they were surely not the weakest. They were surely prepared physically and mentally. They were surely enjoying themselves and taking it all in. Um, That's one of the comments I got by a mountain guy just a few months ago talking about how Sure, that the athlete was still struggled with regards to it being difficult. Of course, it's difficult, but they were into it. They were excited. They were passionate. They were having fun. They were laughing. They were willing to accept the feedback and insight and learning up on the mountain and be guided. And physically, um, their physical fitness was not the limiter. It's more the experience and it's a lot up there and a lot of inputs, but they were fully capable of it. And it's a good example of what we're moving towards, whether that's climbing a mountain, whether that's doing your first Ironman triathlon, whether it's doing your first 100K or 100 mile run. It's about preparing you fitness wise 
for the day, um, making you feel comfortable in this new reality of what your potential is and what you're capable of, to enjoy that day, to enjoy the endeavor, to enjoy the adventure that you signed up for, and be able to take it all in and live it and experience it and feel the passion. Um, There's events that I look to sign up for too that are very daunting as well as um, way out of my comfort zone. But when I'm out of my comfort zone, I will say that I am feeling the most connected and alive and alert and um, uh, not on edge in a negative way, but really able to absorb the environment and visually be impacted by everything around me to, in order to perform at my best. And that is what I also want to translate on to my athletes and all of you listening is that with the proper fitness and the proper fear in a good way and the proper confidence in a smart way and the proper mindset, you can get to that outer edge of what you believe is your potential or you can get to what you find might be a bit daunting and scary and be at your best because you are being challenged, you are being um, pushed beyond what is a controllable environment for you. And we're on the, when we're on the outer edge of what we can control, a lot more senses and a lot more things are at play in the mind and the body to really have an immersive, amazing experience. So I received a really valid question the other day via email. And, you know, sometimes I get these emails or information from many of you listening and you don't say if, you're just asking me or if you would like me to answer it on the podcast. So um, I will take the liberty to say that this is for the podcast. And in general, it's a good question. So I thought I'd share it with everybody. But if I only have 60 to 90 minutes in the morning to get in a workout, should I still be doing easy zone two training on the trainer? I'm currently putting in about eight to 10 hours a week. And my intuition, which is almost always wrong, tells me I should uh, do a more intense session with a limited time. I have three to four hours on each weekend day to play with for long rides or long runs, but time is limited during the week. I'm training for a rough 100-mile mountain bike race in central Pennsylvania later this summer. So good question, totally valid. As we are building into something in July, which in the meantime, you have to figure is only 21 weeks away, right? 20 to 21 weeks. So we would want to build each season. And I spoke to somebody about this who's a potential athlete um, for running. And he also said, well, I have a lot of time until the midsummer, so I'm sort of in my preseason. And this was just the other day. And I said, listen, our goal is to build up the volume gradually so that we then can train at the volume for a good six to eight to nine weeks. What that means is whether for a mountain bike race or for a hundred mile running race or for a triathlon or whatever your endeavor is, you want to gradually build up the volume to about the distance that you're going to be doing. 
So in the case of a 100K run, let's say a 60-mile run, no, we're not looking to build up to a 60-mile run, but we'll get close to that. We'll want to build up to a training day of about 45 miles. Now, that will take many weeks to gradually build the volume while doing other things during the week in order to stay healthy, strong, injury-free, um, as well as connected. But we'll build the volume to that point. Now, at this point, now that we've run, let's say, 40 to 45 miles once, now we'll need to recover from that because we did a long, gradual build, and that includes some recovery weeks. But... Beyond that, then, we want a good 8 to 10 weeks to use the build fitness that we did in order to get to that 45 miles, albeit at aerobic zone 2, 45 miles. Then we want to use those 6 to 8 weeks to add some speed work during the week in order to see how we handle the volume of, a, of the intensity of some speed work during the week on a weekend. Then when we do the long aerobic run, let's say 30 miles, Right, We'll back off a little bit, allow the body to be better, stronger, faster, smarter, fitter in order to handle the intensity. Um, we'll want to see how the body responds to that. And we'll again want to build up gradually now that we're adding other stressors, other stimuli into our weeks in order to then again do 35, 40-ish miles despite that more intense stimuli during the week or in the lead up weeks. We talked about, you know, two week windows or multi-day windows and so forth in past podcasts. So back to this question, I would say we would want a def definitive progression on what we're doing for the next six to eight to 10 weeks with our zone two and our long weekends. So as we're building our volume for this 100-mile mountain bike ride, we would probably want to get to a point where pretty soon in the next few weeks, we're able to do the distance of 100 miles on a mountain bike. I know it's winter in many parts of the country, but just in, some ideas here and how we would want to go about it. We would want to build up the distance on the weekends where you have that extra time so that we do get in 100 miles spread out over two days. That would be our first goal, right? Get the distance done in a short period of time. Then the following weeks, we would want to increase the volume or the mileage on one of the days and decrease the second day so that we're getting closer to, let's say, 80 or 90 miles on a mountain bike by the spring, early summer, so that we've definitely confident that we can do the distance, albeit slow, albeit controlled, but we know we can do the distance. I never am a proponent of going the distance or more in order to be, build the confidence of doing the distance because we're going to build the fitness and the strength to do it faster and stronger for, let's say, 85 to 90 miles so that when you're rested and fresh and excited and motivated, that 100 miles will feel like 60 miles. That's the goal. But until then, we would want to say, all right, well, if I'm doing the majority of my aerobic work on the weekends, right, because we're looking here, right, at about um, 60 to 90 minutes per morning. So that's about five hours to six hours per week. And then three to four hours on each weekend day that gives us, let's say, three-ish on one day and four, so let's say another six to seven. So now we have 11 to 12 hours a week to play with. 
Well, if we're doing 80% of that time at zone two training currently, because that's how we want to build the foundation, that gives him or her, him in this case, um, the opportunity to do two to three hours, right? The remaining 20% of 10 to 12 hours of high intensity threshold or harder work. Now, I would stay away from zone three on those weekend mornings because they're not hard enough for that short workout to get the stimulus, and they're not easy enough in order to go hard enough when we need to. So I would focus on a couple of mornings in the week during the week when we have limited time to go really hard intervals. And even if that's just 45 to 60 minutes, um, 30 minutes of work with a bunch of warm up and warm down or some drills, but you want the intensity way high, zone four or above, VO2 max. And then that way you have a recovery window until the next morning, or maybe the next day is an easy day to build in so that you do a very hard day, an easy day, a very hard day, an easy day. Now you already have four weekdays done and you do need to focus on your zone two work on the weekends. But that does not need need to be six, seven hours of only zone two work on the weekend. You're getting ready for a mountain bike race with the accelerations and intensity of passing people in little hills and rollers and so forth. So even there, if we say we have 12 hours available for the week and we're doing two hours of intensity, that's a lot. Um, to build in. Remember, I said out of 45 to 60 minutes, only 30 minutes are intensity, right? So now we're, we still, let's say we do two of those sessions in the week. Now we're only one hour down on the intensity. <laughs> we still have an hour, hour and a half to go. And that can be spread into your longer rides on the weekend. You know, three, four, five minute hard spin ups where you're doing high cadence high wattage, high resistance, high effort, maybe up a hill or a roller. Key is to keep that cadence really high to make it explosive on the heart as well as on your muscular power. But yeah, um, a lot of ideas that I can throw in there, but the point here is for everybody, well, no matter what you're doing, there's a buffer always built in there that you do have some time and space for intensity. Remember, 80% of your volume for the week gives you a fair amount. In this case, a 10-hour training week gives you two full hours of intensity. So if you're doing zone two, zone four, you know, that's six times five minutes at zone four, that only still gives you 30 minutes for that day. That's a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of intensity to put into a long ride, into a morning and so forth. So keep that in mind. It's not just zone two work. So I think that answered most of it. It's not only zone two on the trainer. And lastly, as I always think of it, and when I'm about to finish a topic, keep in mind zone two on the days you're not doing the intensity we talked about is a great time to work on cadence, to work on cycling drills, single leg drills, some standing stuff, even at low resistance to get that core engaged, to think about your body position. So much to be done while still keeping the heart rate low.
There's a lot of manipulation we can do with regards to heart rate. We can keep it at zone two, increase the resistance on the trainer and see where the cadence needs to settle at that slow of a cadence where it still remains in zone two and making note of that wattage and therefore progressing and um, watching that progression over a couple of weeks because as you slow the cadence and go more muscular, you will find that the heart rate stays low or even comes down. So you want to be able to mess with that and, and, and uh, manipulate that. So over time, you can see, let's say you'll keep your heart rate low. Let's use a number of 130 or 118. Let's just say 118. And you're riding along on the trainer and you add some intensity, whether that's a compu trainer or a Wahoo or so forth. And you notice you keep the heart rate at 118 or below 120, but you've slowed the cadence and you've upped the intensity, uh, the uh, wattage, the resistance. So over weeks, you want to see how that resistance and wattage keeps going up, but yet you're maintaining control of that heart rate. Still zone two right? But you're adding some power and some strength into it, then you're pulling back gradually going back to an easy spin. So zone two does not always need to be this boring, one speed, one cadence approach. A lot of athletes that I work with do seem to have a problem that their cadence is too low, and they're muscling their way through their bike rides. And that's where I push them all into, you know, small chain ring for the winter, especially us California and Southern Hemisphere and warmer weather athletes, because I want them spinning. I don't want them even touching the big ring. And we're focusing a lot of zone two at 85 to 95 or 100 cadence, just to learn to get the spin more efficient without muscling your way through a bike ride. But anyway, that's getting off of this question. I think I answered that in um, the detail that you might need in order to apply it to your training. And finally, for this week, that topic that I was talking about that lies near and dear to me, because it's an interesting way to look at the training currently, and how we go about all this foundation building and aerobic platform building. And that is understanding that your aerobic base foundation works backwards from the race distance. The last 10 miles of the race are covered by the fitness you build in the first 10 weeks of training. So let's deconstruct that a little bit. And what does that really mean? Well, if you think about it, as we sharpen the edge and as we get further up on the pyramid of our fitness, those are all sensations and fitness levels and speeds and intensities, as well as technique and form and footwork and so forth that we work for, for the first three quarters, if not more, of our endurance event. The speed, the power, the ability to put forth the effort, the pace, the watts and so forth. If you're looking at an Ironman triathlon, for example, the swim and the bike, those are all still off of true uh, strength and power. And while we're trying to get through it as efficiently as we can, using the least amount of energy, it's still that we're able to put forth muscular power. We're still um, fueled enough to fire on mostly all cylinders. 
It's not until we get to the back half of that marathon, 10 miles into the run, 15, 16 miles into the run, that things really start either falling apart or where our true fitness, the fitness that we did from the ground up starts to uncover itself, starts to display itself. And what becomes evident there on the back half on the far end of this ultra endurance race, whether that's an Ironman or a 100 mile run or a 540 mile bike or whatever the events are during a multi-day stage race, what displays itself after in Marathon de Sable, for example, the overnight stage and the, the, the longest stage of them all or many grand stage races where you have a variety of days, but there's always a long overnight run built in. What displays itself there are the true fundamentals of aerobic fitness where you're still able to put forth a clean, fundamentally sound posture and running form and cycling form and swim form that is sure is a lot slower, but you're still able to do it cleanly. And you build that in those first 10 to 12 to 16 weeks of training. And I know it sounds crazy how one correlates to the other, but once this, the pre-race excitement and the rest and the taper and the power and the glycogen stores and the excitement and the racing and the competition, once that all wears off and you're stripped down to those last 20, 15 miles of a 100-mile run, it's just you and those original miles you did. And if you think of it like that, it puts things in the current training phase now that we're in February into a different perspective because what I do when I'm running slow and going at zone two is what I will basically will feel like and would love to actually run on the back end of some of these events. I'm not saying there's a one-to-one -one correlation that your current zone two, you know, 20 weeks out of your race, your current zone two running equals what your last 10 miles of an Ironman run will be the same pace. Now, in some cases, that would be desirable, right? Because it's a pretty, um, it's a race that we have not put together yet to be able to run, let's say, those last 10 miles, even if it is at 10-minute or 11-minute miles, right? Um, many times people are walking there. So, of course, we look at it like that. That would be nice. Or if our zone two running pace now for a hundred mile run is, you know, on trails and a varied terrain, let's say that's 1140s or 12 minute miles or 13 minute miles, that would be nice to be running at mile 85 to 90 like that with that type of posture and footwork and technique and so forth. But what I mean by what we're putting in now is where we'll get to on the bell curve of the season again. And the attention to detail and the attention to footwork and form and technique, as well as the aerobic deep down conditioning that we'll need for those last 10 to 15% of our race. 
when you're stripped down from all the fatigue and the low blood sugar and the low hydration because you can't possibly keep up in many of these environments and scenarios. So you're still light no matter what. What you fall back on, what's the furthest buried inside our body is that true base level of fitness. The one that you can do in your sleep. The one I've talked about that I can shake you at 2 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon and you can go out and clip out at least that pace, at least that wattage, at least that speed. And so as a mental support system here early in the season, but we're starting to get pretty far in there, but just think of it anyways as this time these first 10 to 12 weeks of your training are basically what set up the last 10 to 12 percent 10 to 12 miles of your future ultra race and if you think of it like that you'll find it'll help you understand the work that you're doing now that seems so easy and those of you that know the ultra endurance world and have done those type of distances know how slow and tedious and awful and as if the finish line will never come, how that feels those last 10, 15 miles of an ultra endurance event. And you will be able to relate the two right now. You'll see how and you'll understand what I'm talking about right now with regards to being stripped down to that last 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 core level of fitness that is what you're putting in now so i hope many of you can use that not only in motivation and and sort of reckoning and making a logical connection to why we're doing what we're doing of course everybody understands the foundation and building the pyramid and the house and blah blah but this might help too and think about it the next time you run or how you're going about your training how do I want to run those last 10 to 15 miles? We all envision in racing or in our events or in our adventures or expeditions, we envision the start line. We envision what it should feel like and all the crazy adventures along the line with it. We envision it feeling good. But we forget to envision often, not all the time, we forget to envision how hard it might be those last 10 miles. How lost and foggy and emotionally drained you might feel those last 10 miles. And when it's, it's might have been going well, but it's still, it's still a hundred mile run. You still already run 90 miles. I'll never forget in my first hundred miler, I felt great until about mile 96. Now, you might roll your eyes and say, are you kidding me? You fell fine for 96 miles? No, at mile mm, 40, 38 to about 48, I went through hell. It was awful. I felt terrible. It might have even been a bit more. I was walking. I was questioning if I can even do this. I had all those self-doubts. I was miserable. And I had a big, big pity party in my mind as I was way out there on what I'm going to do. But as you all know, we put one foot in front of the other. And the beauty of ultra endurance events is that we can come out of those valleys and we can find a 
fully new event and race in front of us that we're still in. It never ended. And despite that, you can still have a great day. So I went forth and had still had a great day, a memorable experience. Of course, I always would think that I'd want those 10 miles back and what do I need to do differently? And sure enough, by the way, at Wasatch, I had this difficulties in the exact same spot. So my next 100 miler, I'm going to really have to focus on miles about 35 to 50. That seems to be my weakest point in all my racing and training. And I don't see it in training, but it always comes up always in all my 100 milers of um, about that mileage. But anyway, I felt great until mile 96. But I even then looked at my pacer and said, you know what, this is awful. I feel good physically, my energy levels are good, but I'm ready for this to be done. And those last four miles took forever, right? And it wasn't that I was running slow, or that I was walking, it just it you're just emotionally drained. And so prepare yourself, envision that and understand that is what you're training now. That deep down aerobic platform that you hopefully will never see until that uh, the next time, until that race day, until that event day, until that adventure day and expedition day. And maybe you won't even see it at all. Maybe you'll feel that good and you'll get through those miles and you'll still be running at a speed and an effort that feels totally different than what those aerobic base miles are. But when you're stripped down to your core and things are starting to fall apart and you're just drained and you're beat up and you're exhausted, you're back to those fundamentals, those last deepest, furthest down in the pyramid sections of aerobic fitness that you can still lean back upon, lean back on. And they'll be there. They always are. They always, you can keep chugging along. And it won't let you down. So put in the time and put in the effort and put in the focus and put in the discipline and put in the commitment to build that foundation as best as you can and you will be rewarded. All right, so that'll close out this week of the Weekly Word Podcast, number 60. I have a few more um, things I want to bring up, just some brief things. Remember the precision hydration aspect. Um, I am now moving into the full-on training for my season ahead, and I'll talk a little bit next week. Um, I think I promised that before, but I think by next week I will have things pretty much locked up with a variety of backup options of what this season looks like. But um, many of you have seen that Attilo is happening again. I'm pretty certain of that. And um, I'm also doing um, what looks like the Miwok 100K. And that's 100K, so 60 some odd miles with plenty of elevation change here in Marin County. A home race for me, but I've never done it before. And I'm really looking forward to that. So that's in May. That's the first weekend of May. So I'm back on that train aggressively. And with that, I'm going to start using precision hydration. I haven't needed to use it current until right about these weeks until the training has started picking up. And I'm looking forward to testing it and making some more notes and retesting and seeing how my body responds to it. Uh, although I'm pretty confident that that will go pretty well. But remember, you have a free box coming to you if you um, type in a code 
on their site, precisionhydration.com. And you can just put in TRYPH, T-R-Y-P-H, all capital letters, T-R-Y-P-H on their site. I guess it's a promo code that you would put in on the back end when you're checking out to get that free box of precision hydration product. And there's probably a variety of other things that they'll throw in there with that. And try to take that online sweat test and so on to just get a better understanding of it. The crazy thing is with precision hydration is there is no downside with taking the test. I mean, the online test will have the regular tests at my training camp in April, but there's no downside to taking the online test and just learning a little bit more about you and how you respond with the training and with sweating and what you might need and trying a few of their products, trying maybe some other products in comparison, see how you feel, try the placebo with water and just observe. You're only learning about yourself and what you need come race day. You can only benefit from it. So that being said, camp is practically full. Um, as with any camp, we have people that sign up and then look to get their refund, um, their deposit refunded because life gets in the way. It makes total sense. Um, there's a lot of things that get in the way of four, five, six days of training, whether it's husbands or wives or work or life or family commitments or budget and so forth. So I think we have 18 spots of 20 filled and it looks like we are two months out. So those people that are in now are basically pretty much committed and in. Um, and so, yeah, if you think you'd want to join a couple days of a pretty solid triathlon camp um, up here in Sonoma and uh, get on the Ironman Santa Rosa course, which has changed this year. For those of you that did not know that, luckily one of my athletes pointed that out to me basically the day they announced it because she's very um, keen on doing well at that race. And so uh, we're going to get on the course and we're going to train in the waters and we're going to ride on the course and we're going to run on the course. And those of you even not doing the Ironman are going to have the ability to mimic and train very similarly. We're going to be doing some epic trail runs on the Lake Sonoma 50 mile race course, which by the way, that race is while we're at camp. So we're, our camp is uh, Thursday to Tuesday and most people in Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. But um, that race, the 50 miler, a very prestigious 50 miler here in, uh, well, in all of North America, it's very fast. It's got a golden ticket to Western States is um, on that Saturday. So we will avoid that area of Sonoma on that Saturday. But the next day, that course will be nice and trampled and clear and still marked for us, as well as Monday if we decide to do it on that day, depending on the weather and how the camp is going. But yeah, we'll be doing some beautiful cycling here in Marin County in Sonoma. We'll be doing some pool swimming and open water swimming in Lake Sonoma, as well as the pools around here in Marin with a lot of instruction and I'm hoping to videotape and spend some time with everybody like I did last year, underwater video and above water, as well as running video form and um, technique analysis. And of course, cycling a lot of input there different than last year is that I'm going to be on my bike as well, because uh, 
I'll be training. Last year, I was coming off that 50 miler and I was a little injured. So I was the guy on the scooter, but we'll have a guy on the scooter this year and we'll have a variety of coaches as well as inputs, as well as sag, as well as massage, as well as nutrition input, as well as some fun restaurants. So it should be a great week with those 18 people so far. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get those last two or three people because there's a couple of day rate people that are just showing up for a day or two involved in that too. But if you want to join, feel free to send me an email. And uh, that's chris at aimcoaching.com. All right, that should do it for this week. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Weekly Word Podcast. We had a variety of good topics to dive into. I am looking at probably a good 15 other topics that I want to get to. Anything from protein, when and how during training and racing to use it, um, what it's like training for a marathon, Um, as well as the fog of fatigue, as well as um, motivation regarding um, how we're perceiving our workouts and how it keeps us motivated from there. So there's a lot of topics, deeper topics that I want to go into. I want to talk about perceived effort versus um, that real effort and the differences between the two and how to use perceived effort to effectively train better and better if you don't have heart rate or wattage or so forth available to you. So there's a lot coming and always, always, always feel free to send me an email or some thoughts on topics. I already have two from last week that people have sent me with regards to questions that I should bring up on the podcast. I just didn't want to interrupt this week's podcast with those questions, but I'm always busy taking on those questions and I always want to answer them right away and I could talk forever. So as you know, I'm trying to end it and I will talk to you all next week and I look forward to discussing more on the Weekly Word podcast on how to help you achieve your ultra endurance goals, not only physically, but mentally as well. Thank you everybody and have a great week.